Roundtable Group is a premier sponsor of the ABA litigation section. On this litigation radio episode, we will hear from Russ Rosenzweig, CEO of Roundtable Group, about using third parties and expert searches. The selection of the Roundtable Group as a subject of this interview should not be construed as an endorsement by the American Bar Association of the Roundtable Group and its services. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Litigation Radio. I'm your host, Dave Scriven-Young. I'm a commercial and environmental litigator in the Chicago office of Bakar & Abramson, which is recognized as the largest law firm serving the construction industry with 115 lawyers and 11 offices around the U.S. On this show, we talk to the country's top litigators and judges to discover best practices in developing our careers, winning cases, getting more clients, and building a sustainable practice. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app to make sure you're getting updated with future episodes. This podcast is brought to you by the litigation section of the American Bar Association. It's where I make my home in the ABA. The litigation section provides litigators of all practice areas the resources we need to be successful advocates for our clients. Learn more at ambar.org litigation. When litigators take on complex litigation for their clients, one of the first set of questions that gets asked is, do we need an expert? What kind of expert do we need? And do we know anyone who can serve as that expert? Well, today we're going to talk with someone who has revolutionized the process of finding and retaining expert witnesses, shaping the legal landscape along the way. We'll discuss the evolving trends, best practices, and future outlook of expert witness services. And of course, our guest is Russ Rosenzweig, who is the CEO of Roundtable Group, Russ pioneered and invented the expert witness search and referral industry in 1993, along with his fellow Roundtable Group co-founders. Roundtable Group is the premier provider of expert witness services for law firms and businesses worldwide. With over a quarter century of providing great expert witnesses, they have become known as the expert witness firm you go to when the outcome of your client's case really matters. And beyond his work as the CEO of Roundtable Group, Russ is a speaker, author, educator, and philanthropist. Russ, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dave. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. And no one has really ever called me a revolutionary or a pioneer before. So thank you right out of the gate. Well, you're welcome. And let's talk about your pioneering ways. I understand you have a very interesting story of how Roundtable, the Roundtable Group got started, starting at uh, Northwestern University. So tell us a little, little bit about how the company was founded. It is a fun little story. And almost exactly 30 years ago, when my two co-founders, Bob and Chris and I were having a realization that we didn't have any job offers yet. And it was February of our senior year. So I wanted to be a management consultant. That was sort of my dream. But some of the management consulting firms weren't even recruiting undergrads out of Northwestern that year. So it was very difficult for my classmates and I. And by this time in February, we needed a plan B. And one evening at Willard Hall at Northwestern, we started imagining like, what should we do if no one hires us? I think I put forth the idea of starting our own management consulting firm, which garnered quite a few laughs because at 21, none of us had any kind of expertise that anyone would pay money for. But my colleagues and I were sort of products of the New Jersey public school system. And at Northwestern, the teaching was just so great. 
you know, I went on shortly afterwards to get an MBA at the University of Chicago. So I, I just couldn't believe how dazzlingly masterful these professors were, just real rock stars in their field. That became our, our startup idea. What if we start a consulting firm of professors? And, you know, Dave, from the very beginning, we had scale in mind. So it was like, let's invite every professor to be part of a kind of a loose consortium we called Roundtable Group. And our purpose was basically to find them gigs as a complement to their teaching and research. I know Uber always gets the credit for sort of starting the gig economy, but we like to think we were helping academics uh, find extracurricular, well-paying engagements 30 years prior. You know, professors liked the idea. We were sort of flattering and complimentary. And, you know, rock stars typically have agents and managers who help them with their commercial lives. And that was the pitch we did to profs, and they liked it. And many hundreds, really thousands, um, sort of signed up with us. We were using email at that time, Dave. It's very novel in the mid-90s. Not many people were on email, but academics were. Um, and they were able to basically attach their CVs, their resumes in an email, which allowed us to create a searchable database of experts, really PhDs and MDs and other specialists. And kind of the unlikely conclusion of that whole thing was the only clients who ever called us between then and now for, you know, kind of introductions or referral requests to this kind of caliber of experts uh, were litigators. So we kind of accidentally pretty quickly from the time of our launch turned ourselves into an expert witness search and referral firm. But uh, that wasn't the initial plan. And it was a kind of a very fun dorm room startup experience. And I was going to ask you, so was the initial thought that you'd be finding them like speaking engagements or maybe putting on like some grand seminar or something like that? Or were you thinking more along the lines of using the, the expertise of these professors to do things like litigation testimony or uh, consulting or, and that sort of thing? Well, we were imagining everything except legal related. <laughs> um, so, you know, we conceptualize like primarily professors serving as consultants in the context of other management consulting engagements. So I remember calling like McKinsey and the Boston Consulting Group and, hey, you know, you guys should engage some of our experts. It's just kind of a compliment to your team. And, you know, you'll bring this kind of world-class PhD level expertise to a consulting engagement. I remember so vividly the uh, gracious McKinsey partners who had me in their Chicago office just looking at me like totally startled and like expressed to me, Russ, we're the experts, not you. Uh, so, you know, none of that early stuff we tried um, around pitching our professors as experts in all kinds of different contexts really worked until we got that magical call a couple of years into the process from uh, a litigator, actually, our very first client. It was such an incredible kind of phone call and meeting with him because, first of all, there was urgency. Um, he had kind of this a pretty immediate need 
for a variety of experts. It was an IP matter. Um, and it was a you know pretty long phone call and meeting about you know all kinds of nuances and complexities with respect to his case. Um, I think it was actually going to be like a Texas jury in a very complicated IP matter in which he needed computer scientists and I think some economists. So like one of the criteria is that he, beyond excellent credentials, he needed experts who would appeal to the jury there. So, you know, like no New Yorkers, um, no one from LA, he, you know, was especially looking for people with the proper Southern drawl um, to be comfortable in that venue. And there were just so many nuances and conflict issues and discovery considerations. And we just had this aha moment that, you know, it can be very time consuming and inefficient uh, for litigators to do this kind of work to, you know, find the candidates and vet them and screen them and have, you know, 20 plus phone calls with potential candidates. And, you know, we had this amazing database and access to the experts and realized we had a skill set at this particular line of work. Plus, it was so intellectually interesting and stimulating to work on, you know, these very important disputes involving, you know, the leading companies of the day. Um, so it was just a match made in heaven for us. It was just like so cool to have our career really get defined for us in those early days. Yeah. And you mentioned finding an expert witness can be incredibly inefficient and expensive. Most lawyers, when thinking about getting an expert, think in their brains, talk to their colleagues, hey, you know, we're looking for an expert in this area. Who do you know and who have you used in the past? And maybe you're sending an email to uh, your firm colleagues asking them, you know, who have you used, you know, who have you used in the past on this issue? And that could be, again, extremely inefficient. So how do you go about doing that? How, what is, what is, how does Roundtable Group fill that gap? Yeah, Dave, it's, it's funny you, you mentioned that because you know, Almost as a hobby, plus it's been my kind of professional duty for the past 30 years, almost every day I ask litigators, you know, how do you find your experts just in the course of my business development work and the CLE presentations we do? And, you know, it's just a question I've been asking for decades. And the answer has remained the same all these years. And exactly as you expressed it, Dave, it's, I don't know, who do we know? Who we use last time? Ask the client, you know, more, more recently in the past decade plus, it's, you know, you do a Google search too. And, you know, it's perfectly good, that methodology, but it's not like my professors at the University of Chicago and Northwestern would not call that the world's most thorough and rigorous methodology for finding your experts. Um, and the thing is, like, sometimes a case can turn on that very expert. So, you know, I've always just been an advocate of you, you got to just be very thorough and very, very rigorous when it comes to finding candidates and vetting them and picking the right one. And as tempting as it may be, you can't just like hire the one from last time. You can't just call the economic damages firm that, you know, you used the last couple of times because there might be a world-class different professor of economics, not even at a firm, um, who is just so perfect for that new matter. And the problem is, it's just like too time consuming for a litigator to do this work. You know, it can take 
10 to 20 hours to be really thorough and really rigorous in finding potential candidates and another 10 to 20 hours plus um, to call them all up and, you know, kind of interview them and vet them. Um, so, you know, I, I've just found it to be very inefficient for lawyers to do this work, but pretty fun and efficient for us to do it because it's, Lord knows, all we've ever done professionally. <laughs> and I think one of the keys to our ability to do it is that, you know, I have 40 colleagues now, and for the most part, they're all lawyers or engineers who are former US PTO examiners who've been with us for a decade plus. And so, you know, my colleagues just like know how to read a complaint. We know how to read patents. We know how to have a very in-depth conversation with the client about all the nuances and case facts and discovery considerations and really get on the dot um, with what the perfect expert looks like. And then, you know, we have the time, we have the technology, we have the databases, we have the resources um, to do that thorough and rigorous search. And that's been our life's work for my whole career since college. Can you highlight some, uh, you know, best practices for finding an expert witness that litigators can use in finding that perfect expert witness? Well, I think there's two steps, Dave. First, before you even get to work finding an expert, you got to be on the dot with what you're looking for, with what you what you need. And, you know, half the time we play a role even in brainstorming with the litigation team about what that perfect expert looks like. You know, there's the obvious main item is just credentials. Do they have the required skill set in that subject matter area. But there are so many other nuances to consider, like, you know, for example, prior testifying experience. Uh, a lot of times our clients are just kind of habitually will say, oh, yeah, we want a seasoned testifying expert. Uh, but, you know, sometimes they've the best and most qualified expert, particularly in a high tech field, is, you know, maybe an assistant or associate professor who's written every article, who's doing pioneering cutting edge work. Maybe they have been in, in the litigation process, but never got to the testifying part, in part because they're so good at this tech, so brilliant at it that cases often settled. You know, they often win teaching awards and, you know, would be perfect for the testimony role, but just don't have it yet. And so we often encourage our clients to consider even candidates who don't have testifying experience. And, you know, also communication skills and persuasiveness is so important. But, you know, sometimes, a great expert can't communicate well in a jury context um, and isn't teaching winning teaching awards, but is so good at the field and could be a great consulting expert. You know, so there's a whole long laundry list of things to consider, you know, before you even roll up your sleeves and start looking for experts. And, you know, once you kind of have gone through that, what I might call meta decision process or checklist, thinking through all the various criteria for your expert, then you got to kind of roll up your sleeves and get to work finding potential candidates. And that's the part where I just, in my maybe biased opinion, <laughs> feel so strongly that there's no substitute for rigor and thoroughness. And, and you got to Kind of first question, do you have time for doing this task of finding the candidates or is it better to outsource it? But I'll share with you, Dave, just in the spirit of speaking of rigor, some of the things that we recommend if a lawyer is going to do it himself or herself. First of all, you do want to 
proceed with the habitual, who do we know, who we used last time, ask the client, do a Google search. You know, that's all good. Don't stop doing that. Just don't make that the entirety of the methodology. Second is on the topic of the Google search. Very few litigators are aware of how powerful that Google search bar is. And, you know, I think so many lawyers are in the habit of, you know, just typing in the area of expertise you need into that Google search bar, and then you get 2 million pages and no one has time to go through that whole thing. But there's like advanced Boolean techniques you can use to kind of dial in what you're looking for within that Google search bar and only search within resumes and CVs. And, you know, Google has like every CV in the world. Um, So we've spent many years kind of honing and refining um, how to do like really advanced expert searches using that Google search bar. And, you know, another technique, Dave, that is kind of the hot buzzword du jour is, you know, AI and big data. And the cool part of finding expert witnesses is all of the most cutting edge techniques and AI algorithms are already baked into various platforms like Google Scholar and A Minor and Web of Knowledge and even PubMed for um, highly complex medical research related issues. Um, you know, Google Scholar with some widgets that we built allows you to search every like article um, that's ever been published on the topic of interest for your expert witness. And not that a litigator has time to read hundreds of articles, but you can parse them out and quickly find the authors and co-authors and citations. And, you know, there's your, there's your list of potential expert witness candidates. And, you know, when it comes to practitioners and not academics, of course, there's LinkedIn and Indeed and Monster and and many other sites and resources that, you know, especially when you pay the ridiculously expensive, most premium um, uh, version of, let's say, LinkedIn, as we do, uh, you can really dial in and find practitioners and, you know, even engage with them, obviously, using LinkedIn's methods. And there's all these static databases too, Dave, like, Jurist Pro and Om and Experts.com and Seek. And these are ones where experts pay to be on them. And it's, you know, only one one out of every 20 times you find a great expert on those sites. But we search them every time because, you know, one out of 20 times the perfect expert is there. And I could go on all day about this. There's trade associations. There's calling university department chairs. There's even good old Amazon, like the book part, um, which is so powerful and has literally every book published and unpublished ever written. And again, you know, doing a rigorous search on that will show you the books and show you the authors and co-authors. And, you know, there's a whole other variety of potential expert witness candidates. So those are the techniques we use. (laughs) Of course, we also have this database of 500,000 professors and experts that we've been building since that Northwestern dorm room time that uh, is also very helpful that most lawyers don't have. But all those things collectively will likely get you a nice potential kind of universe of candidates to study.
Yeah, that's amazing. And I, I mean, I learned so much just uh, from from listening to what you had to say just then. And it occurs to me, you know, in my practice, uh, which is partly uh, working for the construction industry, the practitioner part of it, the non-academic, the 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 contractor who um, has been in the business for you know fifty years, and perhaps someone who just retired and is looking for kind of a gig on the side. Those are so powerful um, in front of a jury because they have done the work and they understand, you know, they understand the industry, they understand, you know, what happened in your case uh, to the core because they worked in that area. And so a, a much different, you know, quality of background than a college professor, for example. So I assume Roundtable Group can assist in finding those folks as well. Yes, Dave. In fact, like a good 50% of the requests we've been getting over the years are for non-academic practitioners. Um, So thanks for saying that, because while we're very proud of our sort of academic roots with that whole professorial story that I told you, uh, more often than not, it's a practitioner that's needed. And sometimes it's just very time, especially even more time consuming to find that kind of on the dot person who's been in an industry for decades and maybe is recently retired or turned, you know, became a consultant and, you know, where where the conflict issues are manageable because of their newer career. Um, and, you know, we, we really spend uh, a great deal of our time helping lawyers find those practitioners. And I'm glad you mentioned it too, Dave, because a lot of times I think um, our beloved fellow ABA litigation section members um, don't don't really kind of understand um, what we do. Uh, you know, often they're just, oh, roundtable group, what kind of uh, experts do you have in-house? Um, and, uh, and it's none um, because we're just a search and research firm uh, and try to leave no stone unturned, whether it's a practitioner or a medical doctor or a professor that might be needed for really any kind of matter on any topic. And you mentioned, you know, one of the things that, you know, lawyers need to do is to really hone in on what type of expert they need. And I think oftentimes the question is, well, I don't know, (laughs) because, you know, you don't know, you know, what's going to come up in a case. You don't know what issues, perhaps if you're the plaintiff, what what the defense might might raise. Um, Is that something that you uh, do some consulting with uh, with folks on your staff to help lawyers kind of figure out, Okay, well, you really need an expert on this particular issue as opposed to to that particular issue. And I can help uh, find an expert in that area. Yes, Dave, it's it's often our initial conversation really is a brainstorm. Um, Many of our clients and and litigation section members have such a diverse array of engagements that they do and not necessarily specialists in one field only. So, you know, one day they need medical doctors, the next day economists, the next day engineers and computer scientists. And so every case just has so many nuances and, and different directions. And, and so we often find ourselves kind of in that brainstorming mode of kind of dialing into the different kinds of credentials that might be needed. 
you know, often the answer is, well, let's try for all three approaches um, and just be even more rigorous and talk to candidates across the spectrum. And then, you know, of course, beyond just credentials and that brainstorm are the other criteria that we covered briefly earlier, like the prior testifying experience and, you know, communication skills. But there's so many other criteria to think about, even just as simple as geographic location. Uh, is that important? Less and less these days, but sometimes like the Texas story I told you, it's critical. When I started 30 years ago, figuring out kind of the reputation of an expert or, you know, their sort of social media profile was an impossibility. Uh, but these days, it's uh, it's doable to kind of do a little bit of research and and, and kind of look at, at other angles, you know, and there's, there's even more nuanced criteria to think about, like, is an expert willing to kind of impartially self-select themselves? You know, do they, do they have the courage to express, you know, this matter is not really perfect for me, but you should call my colleague so-and-so who'd be even better. You know, are they well published on the topic? Um, are they like collaborative and fun and enjoyable to work with? Um, you know, would they know how to like actually write that report um, that you need or prepare for a complicated deposition or testimony? So the criteria for selecting experts are, are really endless, um, but it's just so good if we have a chance to kind of discuss that with clients and really help them think through all these considerations rather than just, you know, sort of God forbid, uh, I don't know, I'm just going to call the expert I used last time and leave it at that. And do you do uh, vetting of the potential expert witnesses? Because I imagine you're doing all these searches, you're getting a list of, of names. Are you sending those directly to uh, the litigators or your clients, or are you doing some sort of vetting beforehand to kind of let the lawyers know exactly you know what they're all about and kind of your, not recommendation, but perhaps uh, some perspective on, on their prior work? Yeah, I'm glad you asked, Dave, because that's the whole kind of next phase of a search or research engagement for us. You know, everything we've covered so far has been just kind of the first part, a set of meta decisions about, you know, what to what to think about before you even start searching for experts. You know, we also covered all these criteria for finding potential candidates. We haven't even gotten around to the topic of reaching out to them, um, which is the most time consuming part of all, uh, because, you know, imagine uh, we typically find at least 20 candidates um, when researching potential experts, you know, we'll usually find a few from within our own internal database, the one we've been collecting for 30 years. Uh, but, you know, we always do this kind of thorough and rigorous extra research methodology that I was describing. So typically we cook up a couple of dozen potential candidates. And that's really the beginning of the process because then it's another potentially 10 to 40 hours that, you know, lawyers really just don't have. Um, but we do. Uh, where you got to call them all up. And we do like to do a first round of vetting, Dave, you know, especially if we have the client's permission. And, you know, we even go through the whole process of coming up with a script that will kind of describe to experts about the matter and some of its nuances. And, you know, we're ever mindful of discovery considerations and confidentiality. So it's kind of really an art form to this, like, 
you know, you need seasoned, you know, JDs and people with advanced degrees like we have on our team. You don't want to kind of let a, a very recent college graduate with no experience do these vetting calls with expert witnesses for your, you know, very significant dispute. And yes, this is kind of the heart of the work that we do. We, you know, first of all, call each of the candidates. And, you know, half the time, Dave, the, the experts know us and frankly love us because we've possibly paid them a lot of money over the decades. And so a lot of experts answer the phone on the first ring when we call. Um, but other experts, you know, have have like never been called before. And normally like, you know, a, like a perfect expert for a tech matter who's maybe like working in a basement lab somewhere, wouldn't normally even answer a phone call in which there's like a law firm on the caller ID. Um, and so there's, you know, sometimes it's better to have a third party reach out to potential candidates um, where we can kind of, you know, describe the matter. And, you know, we've been in the business of finding cool expert engagements for, you know, PhDs like you or experts like you for decades. And we're able to really um, express to the potential expert the nuances of the case or at least, you know, kind of the high level um, case facts and, you know, we're able to save the client a lot of time by conducting the, sort of a conflicts check and really having an on-the-dot conversation about whether the expert thinks they're qualified and fully credentialed for the matter. And, you know, we even go as far as trying to negotiate a fair and reasonable billing rate um, with the expert on behalf of our clients. You know, a lot of times if an expert sees a kind of a famous and feared law firm on their caller ID, sometimes they see dollar signs. And they're like, yeah, I'll, I'll be your expert at, you know, $1,200 an hour. But when we call an expert, they're kind of mindful that they're aware that we're also calling every single one of their peers. And, you know, we put a little bit of downward pressure on that price. And whatever sort of billing rate they express, we often maybe even feign shock and ask if they do it for a bit less for our good client. And that brings us to our billing model. We actually don't charge anything to come alongside a client, especially a litigation section member, and just be a resource um, and add this kind of extra level of thoroughness and rigor. There's no upfront cost. And as I was saying, when we're talking to candidates, we, we ask them their billing rate, we try to negotiate it a bit, and we'll also often ask them if they would share a portion of their billing rate with us. And sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no. If they say no, we need to add a modest markup to their billing rate. Um, and that's how we're compensated. It's if and only if. All this work we're kind of describing together, Dave, actually leads to a retention of an expert. If and only if we here at Roundtable Group found you the most perfect expert that you couldn't otherwise find um, using our own methods, only then are we compensated. And even that is just like a percentage of the expert's billing rate. Got it. Tell us a little bit, you know, about kind of the future of the expert witness industry. What do you see in terms of, I mean, Obviously, the databases that you talked about or the search mechanisms uh, weren't available uh, when you began the company. So that technology has changed, I'm sure, the landscape of expert witness searches. What else do you see in terms of changes maybe in the next 10 to 20 years in terms of the expert witness industry? 
Well, one, one change certainly that's different from our first decade of operations is um, we have a lot of so-called competitors now um, for our first decade. It was really fun because when we would introduce ourselves to litigators and describe what we do, like 100% of the time, the answer was, wow, I've never heard of that. Um, does anyone else do that? And it was like, no, not really. We kind of accidentally launched a whole new industry. But then what happened is there was competitive entry, um, partly because we were very blessed to get a lot of press in those early years. We were in the Wall Street Journal. Stanford wrote a business case about us. I, I think we were so honored to make the famous Inc. 500, 5,000 list like five or six times. Um, so that led to this competitive entry, um, which turned out to be the best thing in the world for us. Because then rather than having to explain this kind of novel new concept, of an expert witness referral company every time. Lawyers got to realize, wow, there's like a, a bunch of firms, the companies that do this. Like we should, you know, we should outsource this since it's like seemingly a whole industry now um, and not just do it ourselves using those, you know, sort of inefficient, antiquated ways. These days, the competitive landscape is makes it very challenging for us because there's like so many expert companies now, um, and it's not that hard to sort of call yourself an expert witness search firm. So you just got to be mindful, you know, you want to pick one um, where you have very experienced people, JDs, engineers, USPTO, former examiners who you feel comfortable um, kind of sharing these highly confidential and nuanced case facts and, and you know, doing this expert witness search. You also want to be mindful that the search firm you hire, like, doesn't charge too much. Um, just be careful. Some expert witness companies are just like, ask an expert what they charge and whatever that number is, they'll double it. And that's the billing rate. So one change I've seen is just related to that competitive entry. Got it. Another change that I've seen, Dave, is there's just so much more great technology available. Just like when we got started, there were no websites. There were no emails or texts. Cell phones barely fit in your pocket. There were, you know, no affordable databases until I think that very year we got founded um, was the year that Microsoft Access came out, which is what we used to build our initial database. Google didn't exist. Social media did, didn't exist. Um, all those things are now like really great tools um, to help find experts. But it's just like it's overwhelming to use them all. It's just really information overload and just no one has time to use the full array of technologies. And, and some of the most cutting edge technologies like chat GPT, everybody talks about, um, well, you know, every week we, we go there and ask it to find expert witnesses for us for one of our searches. And every week it says, I'm sorry, we're not able to find experts on this platform, you know, use these other methods instead, which are the, the very ones we covered earlier in the call. Um, so I think, you know, competitive landscape technology, um, which allows for very rigorous expert witness searches, but, you know, just makes it so time consuming for, for lawyers to uh, handle it. Those are some things that come top of mind about how I think the industry has been changing and shifting. Excellent. Well, Russ, we are coming uh, to the end of our time together and would love to have you give any last thoughts uh, that you might have to our audience today? Maybe I'll just kind of conclude with one other trend that I've been noticing, which is first, there are like a lot more litigations <laughs> than there were 30 years ago uh, in the US. There's just more and more matters. 
Second is, you know, increasingly the expert witness can make the difference. Uh, even the New York Times wrote an article about that very topic. More and more experts make the difference in a litigation. You know, just the importance of that thoroughness and rigor in finding experts is, is so critical. And, you know, the third trend is just like admissibility of expert reports is so complicated now. I mean, there was just like even further changes to the Daubert standard in like December of 2023. Um, and the states handle it differently and courts handle it differently. And, you know, just being mindful, like early on um, in thinking through not just like what the perfect expert looks like in terms of criteria, but even thinking about, you know, admissibility of their work product, discovery considerations, and it's just like so much goes into really being masterful with expert witness search and referral. And, uh, you know, that kind of those kinds of tasks have been our sort of passionate line of work for three decades. And, and we're just even more excited to get up in the morning and go to work these days than we were 30 years ago back in the dorm room. Absolutely. And for folks who are listening to this podcast and uh, wanted to reach out to you or to learn more about Roundtable Group, how would they go about doing that? I love working with litigation section members, even personally. I, I welcome members to call me up, maybe shoot me an email first. It's just russ, R-U-S-S, at roundtablegroup.com, and we can schedule a call or work on a matter together. That would certainly be a privilege to work with more and more section members on matters. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty actively involved with the section and on committees myself and going to all the fun events. So I'm very honored to be uh part of the family. Absolutely. Well, Russ Rosenzweig, uh, CEO of Roundtable Group, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much, Dave. Thanks to Litigation Section premier sponsor Roundtable Group for sponsoring this podcast. Roundtable Group is an expert witness search and referral service with decades of experience and a comprehensive array of academic and industry relationships, as well as access to proprietary tools that further enhance the expert search capabilities of attorneys. With no upfront fees, you only pay if you retain an expert referred by Roundtable Group. Learn more at roundtablegroup.com. And now it's time for our quick tip from the ABA Litigation Section's Mental Health and Wellness Task Force. And I'd like to welcome back Sharla Stevens to the podcast. Sharla is a lawyer and business consultant who provides workplace training, independent investigations, strategic human resources consulting, and mediation and conflict resolution. She previously practiced law in New Hampshire and Massachusetts for more than 37 years and spent the majority of her career at McLean Middleton, a regional law firm with more than 100 lawyers, where she chaired the Employment Practice Group and also represented schools and healthcare practices. Welcome back to the show, Sharla. Thank you so much, Dave. I'm excited to, to talk about something new that I have learned over the past couple of weeks. It's a concept called mental health first aid, which I think could be of a lot of value to individuals and to legal employers. Mental health first aiders, as they're called, get taught to recognize when someone is experiencing a mental health or substance use crisis. And potentially, we are there to provide needed support and resources. It's kind of an extension of traditional first aid training to mental health. And the concept originated in Australia and has been in the United States since 2008. And since then, millions of people have been trained. Mental health first aiders are trained not only to recognize signs of mental distress, but to respond quickly and compassionately. 
Studies have shown that the program can be effective in reducing the stigma around mental illness, which is a huge issue in the legal profession, as you know, and increasing knowledge and understanding of mental health issues by teaching the participants to use a five-step action plan, which is known as ALG, A-L-G-E-E. The ALG action plan is to approach, assist, and assess people with any crisis, including the risk of suicide, trauma, high anxiety, listening non-judgmentally, giving reassurance, support, and information, encouraging a person to seek appropriate professional help, and encouraging a person to seek self-help and other support strategies. Uh, Mental health first aiders are not therapists. We're not even peer support. We're simply colleagues and friends who can recognize and assist. Um, Participants in the program come from all walks of life. In the cohort in in which I studied recently, there were human resource professionals, a pastor, employees of homeless shelters and local libraries, social workers, and community volunteers. Really, we like to think of mental health first aiders as the first line of support in averting a crisis. Legal employers, for sure, usually struggle with how to have conversations with individuals showing signs of substance abuse, mental health issues, and burnout. Even when the conversation starts, it's often difficult to gain the trust of a coworker or subordinate so that they'll feel comfortable sharing what could be labeled as a weakness or even a disability, especially in a high-stress competitive environment like a law firm. It's also really easy to accept a response like, I'm fine, and move on without the comfort level to pursue the matter further and really get into the issue with the individual. The primary goal of mental health first aid is to be present, actively listen without judgment, and get the individual to proper resources. Law firms, courts, and other legal employers could definitely benefit from having a first aider or two in the house and to rely on those individuals to have the first compassionate conversation with somebody who might need support. Lawyers and paralegals could also use this training when dealing with clients who've experienced trauma. Further information about mental health first aid can be found at www.mentalhealthfirstaid.org. And I have to say, I really enjoyed and learned a lot from the course and look forward to putting some of that training to use. Well, excellent. Thanks so much for bringing this to our attention. Something that definitely is new to me. So thanks again for being on the show today. My pleasure. Well, that's all we have for our show today. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about today's episode. If you have comments or a question you'd like for me to answer on an upcoming show, you can contact me at dscriven-young at peclaw.com and connect with me on social. I'm at Attorney DSY on LinkedIn, Instagram, X, and Facebook. You can also connect with the ABA litigation section on those platforms as well. But as much as I'd like to connect with you online, nothing beats meeting you in person at one of our next litigation section events. So please make plans to join us at the 2024 Insurance Coverage Litigation Committee CLE Seminar in Tucson, taking place March 6th through the 9th. Join us to learn about the very latest developments in insurance law from leading lawyers and insurance professionals, as well as valuable networking events and a variety of outdoor activities that only Tucson can offer. This year's meeting will feature the same high-quality programming that has attracted insurance practitioners from all over the United States and other parts of the globe for over 30 years. To find out more and for registration information, go to ambar.org slash litigation insurance. 
If you like the show, please help spread the word by sharing a link to this episode with a friend or through a post on social and invite others to join the show and community. If you want to leave a review over at Apple Podcasts, it's incredibly helpful. Even a quick rating at Spotify is super helpful as well. And finally, I'm going to quickly thank some folks who make the show possible. Thanks to Michelle Oberts, who's on staff with the litigation section. Thanks also goes out to the co-chairs of the litigation section's audio content committee, Haley Maple and Tyler True. Thank you to the audio professionals from Legal Talk Network. And last but not least, thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.